To help us understand our text from the Gospel of Matthew this morning, I want to begin by getting us to think about leverage. Anybody know leverage? Leverage is a word that I think comes to us from the world of physics. So can you think back, class? We're going back to school here. Anybody remember their high school physics lessons? Uh, I can't recall all the proper names of all the formulas, but if I recall correctly, a lever is a simple tool that gives you something called mechanical advantage. Right, so if you're, if you're digging with a hand spade, a little tiny spade in your garden, and you come up a big subterranean rock, and you've got to get this thing gone, and you've got this little hand spade, and so you kind of look for a little foothold, and you, you crank down on that, but you just, it won't budge. So what do you do? You call somebody? No, no. You go and get you some mechanical advantage, and you go get a full-length garden shovel. And now, because of the position of the fulcrum based on the load and the torque and the, I don't know, but basically you get you a foothold, and now with all that leverage, if I recall correctly, you sacrifice distance for force, and the force you're able to exert moves that rock. It budges that rock because of something called a lever. You went and got leverage. Most of us cannot lift up a car when we need to change a tire, but with the help of a jack, we're able to use that leverage to gain advantage, right? So it's a powerful force. Now, when we talk about leverage in a figurative sense, we get the same thing. We just apply it to people or situations. So leverage is the power to influence a person or situation to achieve a particular outcome. Leverage is the power to influence a person or situation to achieve a particular outcome. And so you can think of lots of examples of this. this. Perhaps you know someone from the world of business who is complaining about the cost of some price and they say something like, well, they can charge whatever they want because they're the only supplier, they're the only supplier who makes this widget we need. And since they're the only one, that's the only place, they're the only game in town, they've got all the what? They've got all the leverage. They've got all the advantage. They can charge whatever they want. Or imagine you're a teenager who goes to look for a part-time job. You know, well, are you going to get a good job with good hours at a good rate or a very attractive rate or not so good hourly wage? It depends on the leverage. If it's a time when nobody can find employees and everybody's scrambling for workers, well, odds are when you go to apply, you've got the leverage. Because you have lots of people that want your services and, and you can uh, uh, go lot, play one off against the other. If, on the other hand, it's a season where businesses are turning workers away, then as you go as a teenager looking for a job, that store or that restaurant or whatever, they've got all the leverage. You get the point. Uh, I've always heard that uh, uh, when you're trying to get a good deal on a, on a car, you know, used car, you, you walk in, you've got to keep the leverage and the leverage is the ability to walk out. If you go in and you say... I've got to have a car. I'm desperate. It's got to be today, and I'll pay any price. (laughs) You've given some of that leverage away, right? Now, leverage can be used for your good or for evil. Sometimes people use leverage for good. Every child knows how leverage has been used against them. And it was for a good cause, but they didn't think it that way. And every child understands, I've got to eat. I've got it. I've got to eat my broccoli. Why? Because it's the only way I can get that chocolate chip cookie. And so what a child will do is eventually they will just 
own up to the fact that the parent has all the leverage. They've got the chocolate chip cookie. They have to eat the broccoli. The parent has the leverage. Unless there's a way to take that leverage off the table. And how do you take the leverage off the table? As a child, two words, grandparent. See, what they will do, no grandchild of mine's going to have to eat broccoli here, right? Ah, and you're going, hey, you took away my leverage here as a parent. You get the point. Okay, so it can be used for good or it can be used for evil. What does, le- my point is leverage is a power in this universe and it is a force that has to be respected. What does that have to do with Matthew? What does that have to do with us today? There are right now unseen spiritual forces at work influencing your life. That's just a fact. It affects everyone. And it's much more important than a teenager's first job. It's even more important than being refused a cookie because you didn't eat your broccoli. You were designed by God. You were designed by your creator to have a thriving, vibrant, abundant life in relationship to him. Everybody hear me? You were designed to walk in God's path. You were designed to walk under the blessing of God. Every man, woman, boy, and girl was designed to be in relationship with his or her creator. Don't you want that? That's what I want. Don't you want that for your family? Isn't that why we're praying over these names in the first grade Bible presentation? We're saying, hey, hey, you're going to get this Bible. This is the words of life. We want you to walk under God's blessing. That's the goal. That's what it's about. So there is an enemy of God. He is a created being, a creature, Satan, who wants the opposite for your life and for the life of your child and the life of your grandchild. You know, in John 10, 10, uh, uh, Jesus says that Satan has a mission statement. He has a corporate vision statement. His mission, purpose, and vision, it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he's out to do. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to move you off of God's path. Now, how's he going to do that? How's he going to keep you, especially those of you who, you know, you've been walking with the Lord. You're you're, you're like like Jesus called Peter a rock. How is Satan going to try to move that rock, budge that rock? And the answer is he's always looking for leverage. Satan is looking to get leverage. He's looking to get a foothold in your life. Remember what leverage is, exploiting the great need or desire someone has. When someone has this great need or this desire, I've got to have a car. It's got to be today. I've got to have a job. I don't care what you pay me. Well, now that person has the leverage. If you've got that great need or that pain point, or if you fear losing something, that's where Satan steps in and says, ah, what's that? What's that? You have a fear? I can leverage that. Satan is looking for a foothold of fear in every person's life to leverage. And he begins to exert pressure on that pressure point, on that fear point. This is heady stuff, but it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help us understand our text today. So if I can just belabor the introduction just a little bit longer and give you some examples, spiritual examples of how this might work. I'll just, I'll just give you a, a three. For example, leverage Satan uses. It is, okay, let's take it, let's, uh, it is a, a, a ninth commandment, don't bear false witness. So it is a sin to lie. It's a sin to lie. <clears throat> and then along comes a situation where you realize if you tell the absolute truth on this resume, you probably won't get the job. So what you can do is you can doctor that resume a little bit. You can, you can fudge a little bit. You can cheat a little bit. And if you will change, it's a lie, but, but otherwise you're not going to get that job. So that, you're faced with that decision. And right there, Satan goes, that's it. That's a fear. I can use that as leverage. 
What happens? Well, he begins to whisper with his leverage. He goes to work on that fear. He says things like, well, unless you embellish that resume, you'll never get the job. And you need this job. You have to have it. Look, if you don't, I mean, once you, this could mean food on your table. This could mean the respect of your peers. And he'll, he'll throw in this lie. It's not that big a deal. In fact, once you get the job, you'll never have to lie again. If you don't get it, if you don't get the job, what's going to happen to your family? What's going to happen to your future? What's going to happen to your career? You have too much to lose. Tell the lie because you have too much to lose. Aren't you scared of losing all that? You see, that's leverage. He's got the leverage over that fear. And that's why we would lie. He's leveraged that force to cause us to get off God's path and tell a lie. What about this one? You know you're supposed to be generous with your money and give to the poor and give to the work of God through the local church and all that, but fear creeps in. You say, wait, if I give, if I give money away to the work of the church and the ministry and give to the needy, what, what if there's not enough for my lifestyle? What, 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 what if I don't have access to the finer things? Boom, there's that foothold. You fear losing out. Satan begins to leverage those fear. You can't be giving money away. Why? Because money is your savior. Money is there to back you up. We even have songs. There's satanic songs. If our cash is for us, then who could ever stop us? Money's mighty to save money. Can you hear how demonic that is? To trust money as your savior? That's not a real song. I made it up for purposes of the illustration. I don't want anybody Googling that. But there are songs that speak the same thing. They just use different words. It's a way of saying money's there to back you up. Money's there. You don't have to be extravagant. You just have too much to lose. Aren't you scared of losing? Ah, and there's that fear. I'll give you one more. I think about these students going back to school this fall. And I think about students and teachers that are really seeking to follow God, stay on God's path. They're really seeking to be bold and stand up for what's right and be a faithful witness for Jesus Christ. Well, in 2023, listen, if you are faithful to the word of God and you are faithful to stand up for Jesus Christ, you, at the very least, you will be misunderstood. What do I mean by that? People will assume things about you that are not true. And you just got to get used to that. They will assume things about you. But that's hard when you're a teenager to always have people misunderstand your motives. So you stand up for what's right. In 2023, I'm just telling you, you stand up for what's right, and people will assume things about you that are not true. They will assume that you are narrow-minded. They will assume that you just must be hateful. They will assume that you are self-righteous toward others. That's not fair. And can you imagine a Christian teenager saying, just because I stand up for what's right, I don't hate anybody. Why would they think I hate people because of this? Can you imagine that person going to Jesus in prayer? Jesus, they misunderstand my motives. Jesus is like, yeah, kid, I've been there. They sure do, don't they? Well, if you do, if you stand up for what's right, you will at least be misunderstood, possibly persecuted, seen as weird. But there's this word going around. What if in 2023 you're a teenager who goes back to school and stands up for Christ? What if you get canceled? Are you familiar with this concept? Yeah, you're just written off. Canceled. Satan seizes on that fear. That's his foothold, leverage. He says to a teenager who's following Christ, yeah, you better not be too radical. Just keep your head down. Don't let anybody know you're a Christian. You'll get canceled and labeled as self-righteous. You know, you don't want to be holier than thou, and no one will be your friend. You could lose everything. That's leverage. 
This is real stuff, and it is scary. And, and if you're an older person, and maybe you're not on social media, you know, um, you, you, might, you might smugly laugh at the thought of who would be afraid of being canceled. But I think you're being naive, and you don't understand the pressure that teenagers are under in this day and age. This is real stuff. But either way, all of us have some fear, and Satan exploits it for leverage. This has always been Satan's strategy. That's what I want you to see. Find the foothold of fear and use it as leverage. That's Satan's game plan. Find that foothold of fear in your life and use it as leverage. He tried it on Peter way back in Matthew 16, and it worked. At least for a minute, it worked. Look at Matthew 16, 21. These verses may sound familiar from last week. We have to cover them again to look at it from this whole new angle. Matthew 16, 21. What's happened here? If you've been part of the Matthew series, you know what's happened. Uh, If not, I can catch you up. So Jesus has been revealing himself. He's been doing these miracles. And uh, over time, the disciples are slowly starting to catch on who he is. Other people have identified him correctly. He now has asked the disciples the million-dollar question. Who do people say that I am? They give some answers. And finally, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers correctly. But then Jesus says, okay, but to follow me means you're not going to be rich and famous. It's going to be some, some scary stuff. You may face suffering and loss. And here's what he tells them. He begins a, a, a teaching. He takes the disciples back to school, if you will. And he says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples. That lets me think that it didn't just go, verse 21, verse 22. It's not like, boom, he said one thing, and then Peter said his thing. I think over time, Jesus began to show his disciples. Maybe, you know, he's the master teacher, so he gave good lessons. He gave, I'm sure, illustrations and parables. But he began to show his disciples that what they think of as being Messiah is not exactly what God thinks of as being Messiah. In fact, he's going to be a suffering servant, a lamb of God who's slain. He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. So he throws this this hope in there of the resurrection, but the disciples don't understand any of this. And somewhere between verse 21 and 22, Satan uh, uh, sees Peter with all his fear. He sees the disciples with all this fear. So Jesus is given the lessons. Yeah, we're, we're going to go to Jerusalem. It's not going to go the way you guys think. We're going to be uh, attacked. We're going to be, ultimately, we're going to be killed. And you can imagine the disciples having their little discussions. Can you believe what he's saying? I'm scared to death. I don't even, now I don't even think I want to go to Jerusalem. I don't even know if I want to make this trip anymore. What's he talking about? And finally, they're like, I think, I think Jesus has misunderstood his role as Messiah. And they kind of nominate Peter to go tell Jesus that he's misunderstood his role as Messiah. Right? I don't know. But in that, Satan, the whole time, he's finding the foothold of fear in the disciples. You don't want to be a, rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. You want to be rich. You want to be famous. You don't want to suffer. And you certainly suffer many things. You don't want to suffer any things. And you certainly don't want to be killed. And on that third day, be raised. Yeah, that's fine, but I don't know what that means. You, I don't want to find out. I don't want to be killed and have to be raised on the third day. The war, you, you, you feel Satan working on that fear. And so that's why we get to verse 22. Last week, I just, you know, 21, 22, but I think there was some space in there. And finally, Peter took him aside, verse 22, and began to rebuke him. <laughs> it's always so funny to me that Peter had to come to Jesus <laughs> with Jesus. Only it was a come to Peter. Peter began to rebuke him, saying, Hey, no, you got this all wrong. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus, of course, so good, sees what's happening in the spiritual, and he calls Satan out. He knows that Satan is trying to use Peter's fear as leverage. He's so scared 
And so Jesus calls him out. And that's why he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. He's saying, Peter, you're being completely influenced. You're looking at all you have to lose in this life, and you're letting Satan use that as leverage. He says, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He's saying, in effect, Peter, look, I can see what you can't see. I'm telling you, Satan is the father of lies, and whatever he's tempting you with, whatever fear he is playing off of, whatever he's using as leverage, Peter, it's working. Peter, you're my, you're my rock, and Satan has got a big old shovel hooked into your fear, and he's using that as leverage because you're completely focused on all the things you have to lose, and you've lost your focus on God, the one that truly matters. Now, so far, I, I hope, I, I, we've covered a lot, but I just want to establish this point. I'll give you three applications on how this applies to our life, and here's the first. This is just, just a fact. I hope you'll write this down. Satan uses fear as leverage to move you off of God's path. Does that make sense? That's all I'm trying to show you. What are those things that you're afraid to lose? That's where he's got leverage over you. You say, I'm afraid to lose this this, uh, job and this reputation, so I'm willing to lie to keep it. Ah, there it is. There's the leverage. Or, 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 you know, I don't want to be canceled, or I I don't want to be too generous. Wherever it is, that's the point. He's using those fear points in your life as leverage. So with that understanding, if we're clear on that, then I hope it gives us a totally clear and fresh and wonderful and hopefully encouraging understanding of what Jesus says next. The next words out of Jesus' mouth, and I used to think these were some of the harshest commands I could imagine. Uh, You know, growing up, when you read this next verse here, don't get me wrong, I knew these words were true and good because Jesus said them. I just always thought they were harsh and difficult and maybe even a little scary and depressing and dark. They're certainly heavy. But in light of what Jesus knows Satan is trying to do to Peter, he's actually giving his disciples here something liberating, encouraging. It's one of the most striking things he ever said. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, as if to say, I see what's going on here, guys. Satan has got a foothold in that fear, and he is exerting power. He's got leverage over you because you're so scared of all that you're going to lose. So then Jesus gives him a how-to. Here's how to take his leverage off the table. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me. See, this is where we get the how-to. He's like, I can show you how to do it. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's heavy stuff, but you see what he's doing. If you deny yourself, what can Satan take away from you that you haven't already denied? If you take up your cross, what can Satan threaten you? You're already carrying a cross, and you come after me. To deny self, it's not too hard to understand. To deny self is the opposite of to enthrone yourself. It means I deny my right to be my own boss and make Jesus the boss of my life. To take up cross, you know the cross was the Roman instrument of torture and death, means I must embrace Jesus whatever the cost and follow me. It seems like wherever this road goes, Jesus is saying you will not be alone. You'll be following me. I guess that's good, but all this at first glance could be pretty scary. But consider the context. He's saying, Peter, disciples, I'm going to help you guys have courage. I'm going to make the case that this is actually one of the most freeing, liberating things Jesus could say. It is a how-to. And so that's the second application. Let's see if we can unpack this. There is one way, but there's only one. 
There is one way to be free of the fear that Satan uses as leverage. Remember the first application point was Satan will use fear as leverage in your life. Well, there's a way to take that fear, uh, that, that leverage off the table. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Take Satan's leverage off the table. Remember my example of, uh, of the child who uh, 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 is eating the broccoli only because of the leverage of the cookie? Well, if, if, if someone swoops in and offers the cookie before the broccoli, now you have no more leverage on that broccoli, you see? That's what Jesus is saying here. It's heavy stuff, but we can take that leverage of Satan off the table. As I was thinking about how to explain something this heavy, I had a conversation with a missionary friend of mine last Sunday. And he reminded me of a scene in a show. I had seen it too, but it's been many years. There was a series called Band of Brothers, where it's about uh, Easy Company. This is a group that uh, landed in uh, a a stormed Normandy, and it seemed like in every battle in World War II, wherever the hottest fighting was, Easy Company happened to be in that group. What made the documentary, or the the show, uh, it wasn't a documentary, you know, the, the, the show, what made it so, I guess, had such force emotionally was they were interviewing actual World War II veterans who were in Easy Company. So this was the story of their life. And so we know that these stories were based on true events. And it really uh, makes you feel such, uh, such gratitude to soldiers. And uh, no wonder uh, that generation was called, rightly, the greatest generation. Anyway, you're you watching the show, and there's this incredible scene early on where uh, a group of airborne troopers, uh, it was after D-Day, and they're about to go into this next really tough battle. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a conversation between Private Blythe and Lieutenant Spears. And uh, he, it, Lieutenant gives all the orders, and uh, he says, you're going to do this. And Blythe says, yeah, you mean just like I did on D-Day. He said, what are you talking about? And Blythe confesses that when they stormed the beaches and there was all this fighting, he was literally paralyzed in his fear, and he confesses. He says, I hid. I hid in a ditch. That's how I fought on D-Day. And so he's filled with shame, and he confesses this, and uh, uh, he's terrified. And there's this incredible dialogue where Lieutenant Spears says, you know why you hid in that ditch, Blythe? Blythe replies, I was scared. He says, no, we're all scared. You hid in that ditch because you still think there's hope. But Blythe, the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you are already dead. And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. Now I'm watching that. I went back and watched it again. You can, you can see that scene on YouTube. And I was stunned. War and horrifying and all the terror of war, but with calm certainty, Spears said, the only hope you have is to accept the fact you're already dead. And when you accept that fact, you can soldier on. Many Christians, I think, can identify with Private Blythe. Hysterical fear and the fear of death, these have been deep strongholds in us. Long before we're even able to name them or articulate what they are. And like Blythe, with that fear comes all the shame and guilt and bondage. It's like, I want to be free, but I'm captured by my own self 
self-preservation and self-love. And as, watch this, as long as the goal of my life is advancing my kingdom and my agenda and my wealth and my career and my popularity and my status, all of those are now footholds Satan can use to say, if you follow Jesus, you could lose any one of those things. But what if there was a way to remove all those footholds and say, my goal in life is not my kingdom, my career, my wealth, even my life. It's all Jesus. Now, Satan has no foothold because Satan can threat. I could take away your life. And a Christian can reply, I'm already dead. You know who basically said that very thing? The apostle Paul in Galatians 2. Do you remember this? Do you remember what he writes? I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. You see that? It is no longer I who live. What can the world, the flesh, and the devil do to a man who says, I've been crucified with Christ? Or Galatians 6.14. But far be it from me, he says, same guy, a few verses later, far be it from me to boast in anyone except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, I love this, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's the gospel, Christ living in me. I'm I'm dead to the world. That, that is where Jesus is saying the leverage is now gone. And and wasn't that true in the Apostle Paul's life? Wasn't that absolutely true? What leverage could Satan get on the Apostle Paul? He was a dead man walking. So they would, all right. So Paul would boldly preach the gospel. He would get into all this trouble with the religious leaders, and, and, and then they would go tattle to the Romans, and the Romans eventually got involved. You remember that, right? So they would go to him, and they would say things like, Paul, you had better stop preaching. He was like, or what? Or we, we will take away your freedom, and we will throw you in jail. So what happens? He keeps preaching. What do they do? They throw him in jail. And what does he say? With a smile on his face in Philippians, so that whether I'm in free or whether I'm in chains, the gospel's going to advance. The gospel's just going to go forth in chains. And oh, look, I'm chained to a Roman soldier. You are a captive audience. Get ready to hear all of Romans. <laughs> what happened to their leverage? It's off the table. Well, so they raised the stakes. What about, he surely got fear of being, of suffering. And so they say, Paul, you better stop preaching the gospel or we're going to beat you. And so they, he's preaching the gospel. What do they do? They threaten to beat him and they beat him. Well, what did he say when you beat him? He said he counted it a joy to suffer in communion with his Lord Jesus Christ. How are we going to stop this guy? Only one thing remains. The ultimate solution. We're going to have to kill him. Tell him, unless he quits preaching the gospel, you guys go tell the Apostle Paul we're going to, we're going to kill him. So they go and they kill him. They go and they threaten him with death. And what does he reply? Philippians. He says, for me, if you kill me, guys, for me, He says, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So they go back and tell their superior, what what did Paul say to that? He said, if you kill him, it's a promotion. (laughs) Does everybody see my point? As long as Paul was enslaved, as long as he was so attracted to the world, as long as his promotion meant everything, Satan could all have all those footholds and of leverage over his fear. But once deny self, take up cross, Satan lost all his leverage. 
Go back to those early examples and see if we can apply this practically. So, so it's a sin to lie, but you may not get that job unless you embellish your resume. So Satan starts his lies. You know, uh, you better do that or you're going to lose so much. But now he, he can't seem to get a foothold because you've denied self and taken up cross. And you can say to that old devil, look, before, yeah, before this would have worked because more than anything was my desire for self-promotion and self-advancement. You would have had the leverage. But now I'm dead to that old nature and alive to Christ. All I care about is pleasing Christ. So what if I lose my reputation by missing this job? So what if I lose income? What right did I have to those things anyway? The one thing I don't want to lose is my soul. The one thing I don't want to lose is my connection to Christ. Leverage is off the table. Or the generosity thing. Satan starts with those lies. You say, wait, 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 wait. I'm I'm dead to all that ownership anyway. Every dime I have, I've denied myself, taken up his cross. Every dime I have is already his. You can take my kingdom and crucify it. Satan has no leverage. Or what about the young person who's being afraid of being canceled? I wonder if Paul were a teenager in 2023, he might remark, I have been canceled with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm being serious. What can you say to a guy like Paul? He's already been canceled. You're going to take away all my my social media followers, and you're going to take away all my status and all my popularity. Paul's saying, you got to understand, this doesn't tempt me. I've been canceled with Christ. I guess you might say Paul is uncancelable. <laughs> and you too can live in that. Do you see how freeing that is? Do you see how liberating that is? I had this, uh, I had this image in my mind. I, it's not a fully formed illustration, so it's not ready to be shared, but I thought, well, uh, <laughs> let's go for it. But the image in my mind is like, picture your favorite old saint who's been walking with the Lord, and he's in his 90s. He, he, he wouldn't know what to do with a smartphone in a million years, you know. He finally made the switch from a landline to a, one of those big, I mean, I'm talking big old flip phones with just, the, it's got probably a crank on it. You know what I'm talking about, you know. If you went up to him and said, hey, if you continue your stance in following Jesus, old man, if you continue this righteous stance of following the Bible, you are never going to become an influencer on Instagram. <laughs> I just wonder if he'd be like, Insta what? <laughs> yeah, don't you want to be an influencer? No, I don't want influenza. I had that. I don't, I don't want any. And I'm just imagining. So you see, it's not fully formed, but I want to turn this into a whole like skit one day. I think it'd be hilarious. The point is some, some elite 20-something is just certain you're, you're going to lose all your influence status. You're going to lose all your social media followers. You're going to lose your Instagram. And he's like, I, you are not speaking my language. You might say, uh, that stuff's been crucified to him. He's crucified to that. It's just not on the same. And that's what Jesus is saying. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And let the world do what the world does. So it's like you can tug so hard against the temptation of the world. And the attractions of the world. That's a great word. Attractions. It comes from tractor, which is the Latin word for pull, probably. My mom's a Latin teacher. If she ever watches this, I think it's tractar, tractare. Probably means pull. I don't know. I'll I'll fix it for the 1030 service. The point is, the 
The attraction means pull. And you've seen tractors. Take an agricultural metaphor. A tractor can really pull. You've seen tractors do incredible things. Oh, they sacrifice speed, but man, they've got torque. They've got force. They've got leverage. They can pull. And Jesus is saying, why? 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 Why, Christian? Why would you spend your whole life trying to out-pull the attractions of the world when you can just unhitch your wagon? Let the world pull as hard as it can pull. Your wagon's not hitched to that anymore. Galatians 6, what Paul is saying, I've been crucified to the world. The world's been crucified to me. What he's saying, to use a modern illustration, is I've unhitched my wagon from the world's tractor. So it can pull all it's want. It can pull all at once. Deny self. Take up cross. Hey, that's a bold move. I, I get it. But you got to understand, that's why going halfway with one foot in Christ and one foot in the world, that's why it doesn't work. Satan has too many footholds and too much leverage. But when you decide, I'm dead to the world, and when you've resigned, I have no right to the world's pleasures. My own self-advancement, my own self-preservation are not the most important thing. When you do, you will discover it's the most liberating thing in the world. And in fact, Jesus says, in fact, Jesus says there's a whole irony to all this because you may not believe it, but he says, in fact, whoever, here's the irony, whoever would save his life will actually lose it. You see that in verse 25? But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's crazy. It's, it, he, Satan is trying to convince you, sin, and go off God's path. And if you do, then you'll get the peace. Then you'll get the joy. Then you'll get the money. Then you won't be canceled. And you'll find peace and joy and fulfillment. Jesus says, this is, this is a total irony of this. But in fact, if you do that, if you sin, you end up not getting peace. Because you can't sleep at night with a guilty conscience. You don't get joy. Because yeah, okay, so now you're popular. But people just love who they think you are, not who you are. You don't get fulfillment. Why? Because money can be taken away. It's never yours anyway. It's never going to bring happiness. You end up not getting it. Reject all that. Be crucified to that and give up all that. And what do you end up with? Ironically, you end up with the very thing that you were tempted to sin to get that sinning could never have gotten you that you got by giving that up. Whoever would save his life loses it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Put another way, whoever lives a self-centered life focused on this present world will not find eternal life with God. But whoever gives up his self-centered life of rebellion against God will find everlasting communion with God. This is upside-down living. Live for Christ and his gospel, and even if it costs you your life, ironically, you get real eternal life thrown in. Losing one's life is rejecting self-ownership and confessing my life belongs to God. There's a lengthy quote by a good friend of mine, C.S. Lewis, yeah. This is from Mere Christianity where he unpacks this. Give up yourself and you'll find your real self. This is Lewis. Lose your life and you'll save it. Submit to death. Death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body. In the end, submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself And you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. (laughs) Now, if you're new to all this, don't don't worry at first if all this sounds confusing. It is. It's an upside-down kingdom. 
It takes time. But over time, as you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you walk with him, this fact becomes more and more obvious. And you start to realize, wait a minute, walking under the blessing of God is all I want. That's what I care about. And you start to realize, wait, what, what leverage does Satan really have on me? What could Satan offer that walking under the blessing of God is so good? What could Satan possibly offer that would move me off of that, of that path? And you start to realize there's nothing. I have all the leverage. Satan realizes I've got the value. A human soul is of infinite worth. And so he's trying to offer me trinkets and, and, and trifling, uh, uh, worthless things for, in comparison of what a human soul walking under the blessing of God is worth. Here's how Jesus puts that in the form of two rhetorical questions. He says, for what will it profit a man? Think about it. Do a pro-con list. Take everything that Satan could offer as leverage. What does it profit if on this side of the ledger is your soul? What will it profit if he gains a job, if he gains a social media status of following, if he gains a lot of money? Jesus says, I, what everything, just for argument's sake, what if you gain the whole world, but you forfeit your soul? Or he asked another rhetorical question. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? In other words, what can you give in exchange for a soul? How can you buy a soul back? Have you, heard the, have you ever heard the expression, every, every man has his price? I hope that's not true. But you, you, you spend your life deciding how, we even say you spend your life. No amount of money can buy your life back. That's, by the way, the word for soul and life is the same word. So you could just as easily translate it, forfeits his life or return for his life. Soul. Clock's ticking. You're right now deciding. Matthew Henry, oh, this is a commentary from the 1600s. It still has force. He says, thousands lose their soul for the most trifling gain or the most, most worthless indulgence. Nay, often from mere sloth and ignorance. Listen to this quote. Whatever is the object for which men forsake Christ, that's the price at which Satan buys their souls. That's the price point. For Judas, it was 39 pieces of silver. At 29 pieces of silver, he'd rather have his soul. But when 29 went to 30, he'd trade that. And so that was his price. Ours may not be pieces of silver. But Jesus says, what if it's 40 pieces of silver? What if it's 50 pieces? What if it's the whole world? It's not worth it. You've not gained. And once you realize that, you are not for sale. That's the final application. <laughs> once you know you're not for sale, you're free indeed. Once you realize, Satan, you have no foothold here. I'm for Christ. Deny self. Take up cross. I'm completely his. Once that big decision is made, your mind is set on God's path. That was his thing with Peter. You're, you're focusing on the things of men, not on the things of God. Well, now you get your mind back on the things of God and God's reward. And God is going to return. And God is going to repay. Verse 27, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person to, according to what he's done. You're looking for a whole different reward structure. Verse 28, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. In other words, some of you, not you, Judas, but the rest of you will get to see the resurrected Son of God. In other words, in your lifetime, you, you won't die before you'll get to see the inauguration of this kingdom. Well, musicians are going to come and prepare for our, our time of invitation. I, it seems to me that, at least in my thinking, it's like, I, you come to, you know, Jackie asked, what are you preaching on Sunday? And I was like, well, I got to go back and, and preach on, uh, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And she was like, whoa, 
I was like, I know. <laughs> uh, and so I thought, it's such a challenging text. But then the more I thought about leverage and the more I thought about what Jesus is doing, the more I realized it's an encouraging text. He's saying, get that leverage off the table. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. But then as we come to the end, I thought maybe it is a challenging word. Because what if, hmm? What if there's somebody here in this room or watching this online who would say, preacher, uh, that verse 23, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? It's also in Mark 8. It's recording the other gospels. In other words, how can you buy a soul back? You see that in verse 23? Uh, uh, what if that's me? What, what do you mean? I've sinned. I've, I've sold out to the world. And not just once, like multiple times, I've made that decision. Does that mean I've sold my soul? The answer I'll give you may shock you. Yeah. To which I think you would say, well, how do I buy it back? Well, that's the problem. Satan understands the value of a soul. He knows he took it for a bargain. He ain't selling it back. Because he knows you could profit the whole world and it wouldn't be the value of one human soul. So you can't. Are you telling me, preacher, that once you fall prey to this sin and temptation and once you sell your soul, you cannot buy it back? That is exactly what I'm telling you. So you're telling me there's no hope? I didn't say that. Let me finish. When you make this transaction and you choose in sin to give up your soul, the most difficult thing I have to tell you is you cannot buy it back. But here's the good news. But there is one who can. And when you did not have the resources and when you were unable to redeem your soul, there is one. Hmm? The Lord Jesus, not with silver or gold, but with his own precious blood, shed for you, bought you back. Deny yourself. Take your cross. Follow him. Anyone who seeks to lose, uh, keep his life, you'll end up losing it. Whatever loses his life, for my sake, Jesus says, he will find it. He has paid it all for you to follow him. Let's pray. Oh, God, Grant to us that we would unhitch our wagon from the world's attractions and that we would remove the leverage Satan has so desperately sought to find over fear in our life. God, that we would count ourselves as crucified with Christ, canceled with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. In the life we live by faith, we live it in faith in the Son of God who loved us gave himself for us. God, grant us that today. If there's anyone here who feels they've made that terrible transaction of sin against you and they need that hope, help, help them to hear the good news of the gospel that, Jesus, you really did pay everything to redeem souls. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.